I always was a, a big saver, but I think velocity might be like the word to remember here, whether it's velocity in your learning, your personal life, your goals, or your money. You, you want to make sure that your money's working for you because that's how you're going to get to the lifestyle that you want to have. Welcome back, wealthy women. I'm so excited that you're here with us today for another edition of Women Creating Wealth. I have got a real treat for you today because we have got Lindsay Lovell. She is a coach, a speaker, a real estate investor. You're going to love some of this stuff. She's co-founder of three businesses. She had an explosive, successful start in real estate investing, which is the kind of start we all want to have. Uh, in just the first 18 months, she scaled from zero to 36 properties and re reached her goal of financial freedom along the way. Her portfolio consists of 72 long-term rentals and 12 short-term. And along the way, Lindsay co-founded G6 Capital Management LLC, which has over 16 million in long-term and short-term rental assets under management. And she also co-founded Value Assistance, which is an answer to the problem that she faced when trying to hire or find reliable virtual assistants when starting her business. So this is what I love about a true entrepreneur. It's like, okay, yes, yes, I am in the, you know, now I am in the real estate space, but there was this problem and I just thought, well, if I have this problem, other people do too. So I'm just going to start a business doing that. And I just love that attitude. Thank you. Lindsay, thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you, Christine. Super excited to be here and um, glad that the path of an entrepreneur that sometimes other people look at and say, what were you thinking makes sense to another fellow entrepreneurial woman? <laughs> My worst question is people say, what do you do? I'm like, today <laughs> I'm working on this, but last week or yesterday. Yeah, it's not an easy question to answer, but it's fun. That's a really remarkable meteoric success that you had in real estate investing. So how did that happen? Was it like you knew nothing and just found a book and started going or had you sort of been working your way into real estate a little at a time? Give us the skinny. The first Thing that you mentioned in terms of, I really, it was something I stumbled on. Um, I wasn't knowledgeable in all this before I learned it along the way. And I share that to just give people, you know, the background that anybody, anybody can do it. So I, um, I had spent my life, you know, working hard, thinking if I get good grades, go to a good school, get the right job, which I did all of that, you have that American dream of wealth. And I found myself working more hours, enjoying my job less, paying more taxes, and just being like this, this can't, this can't be what I, I worked for. And along that same time, a global pandemic broke out. And at that time <laughs> I was, working, you know, as it does, as it does once in a while, throws a little loop. Um, and I was working uh, in healthcare where my job was to go to cancer clinics. And so clearly that came to a screeching halt at the time, but I was blessed to still be getting a paycheck and have a job, but I couldn't do my work. And being the type of person that I am, um, I was like, I had always had a couple side hustles, all those side hustles, consulting and everything kind of came to an end. And so I was like, I need, I need to learn something. I need to do something else. My husband was like, you're terrible at the stock market. Let's <laughs> maybe have you talk to Jason, who is a friend of his, um, that he did sales with that owned, you know, a couple hundred doors in Kansas city. And I was like, that sounds intimidating. But okay, so jumped on a call with, with Jason. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this community is people are so willing to pay it forward. So jumped on a call with Jason, he shared his sheet. And, you know, I was like, what does COC, ROI, where do we get all these numbers? Totally overwhelmed. Um, but he's like, just start listening to podcasts. So I started listening to Bigger Pockets. And at first, it sounds like, you know, Chinese, what they're saying. And what's this B with 400 R's after it? And, you know, make no <laughs> sense and wholesaling. And, 
And then, it, and then you start to pick it up and you start to realize that people on there, like me, like you, we all have similar stories. None of us were rocket scientists in the sense of, you know, it doesn't, it just takes the desire. Um, and so I started doing that research in May of 2020. I bought my first house in July and doing the Burr method, I was just able to snowball and, and rinse and repeat and find a very reasonably priced market um, to be able to grow to where I did in that, that first um, time period. But it doesn't just take, there's not, I mean, maybe there's a component of luck and timing and hard work and all that kind of stuff. It's more than that. It takes balls. You could have just bought one in that time period. Yep. So I, I, I yeah, and I appreciate that. And I think, you know, for me, I, I'm very conservative. So taking a risk, it was kind of a big leap out of my comfort zone to that point. And so for the first house, I just said, look, if we put in this money and this all goes away, I can still sleep at night. May not be the best dreams, but you know, I'm going to be okay. And so took that calculated risk. And as I learned, and there's so many ways you can run a deal, right? In the sense of your numbers before you dive into it. So what might be comfortable for me may not be comfortable for you. And learning that and learning that you just have to stay within your lane and comfort zone helps you get through some of that, like, this is way out of my comfort zone. It can be stressful. It doesn't completely eliminate it, but it helps. I think you're the perfect blend of risk-taking and analysis, right? I mean, right. You could do analysis, analysis paralysis. You could keep running numbers on 3000 properties, or you could, on the other hand, say like, oh, we're all in, let's mortgage our house and let's do this. And that can be a good strategy when the market's going up, right? Because you, you, you are, it is fairly easy, you know, to make money when the market's going up. But if you don't have that nice balance, then when the market starts to do something funny, you're going to be all in and have nothing to come, to fall back on. Exactly. And that's why I always say the most important time is when you buy a deal and when you have to exit a deal and just set up when you buy that deal to make sure that you're not going to have to exit on terms that you don't want to. So you bought your first house, you renovated it, you, you bought it, renovated it, uh, refurbished it rented it and repeated. That's the burn method. Are you handy? Are you and your husband handy? Um, I am probably the least handy person. You <laughs> not me near a hammer. Um, and we do all of ours long distance. So we live in the San Francisco Bay area. So there is no way we could have done this. You're not buying there, right? <laughs> nope. If we hadn't gotten comfortable to your point, you know, way out of our comfort zone of buying in, you know, coincidentally where we ended up buying, I had gone to for a couple of work trips because I used to call in the hospital there, but St. Joseph, Missouri was never a place that we had any plans to go to or really, you know, had ever thought about, you know, since my couple work, work trips there and 99.9% .9 of our stuff is done sight unseen, purchasing, relying on our team and our handyman there. For people who are thinking about starting that, it does somewhat cut into your profit, right? When you have to pay people to do the work, if you are handy by the same token, it's a lot faster to hire people and get that thing up and running sooner. So it just depends on how good you are, how handy you are, if it's going to be a time savings or a cost savings or not. Yeah. And I always just, you know, I've started to stop and look at my life and I say, if I outsource this, can I be doing something that makes me more money, more joy, more, you know, happy in life. Exactly. Right. And so I started doing that even in my personal life with things, it's okay to outsource, um, you know, you going and spending hours and hours painting may not be worth it. If you enjoy it and you can be quick, um, so yeah, to your point, and it also depends on like, I, I do very cosmetic rehabs, which means I probably could go do them myself if I lived in the area, but you know, I don't recommend that people go and try and do a full rehab themselves, their first one, if they've never done it before. So, you know, there's ways to teach yourself to get yes. to that point. You didn't find this on a work trip, right? This is how did you become introduced <laughs> to this part of the country? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, going back to how amazing that community is. So I, 
you know, again, being um, analytic, had my sheet and was looking at all my KPIs. And I thought, okay, I live near enough that I can maybe go to Reno, uh, you know, to your point, work on things, see the house. And I reached out to um, Bigger Pockets to a couple of people that live in Reno. Um, and this young gentleman was like, yeah, I, I live in Reno, but I don't invest here. It's also overpriced, doesn't make sense. I invest in St. Joseph, Missouri. And I was like, well, that's funny. I've actually been there. Um, he graciously took me under his wing and, you know, started to help me build out my team in St. Joseph. So an agent, a contractor, property manager, all of that. I was just so excited and into it. I just started reaching out to every wholesaler I could on any Facebook page um, and scouring for deals. And so the first deal I bought was actually $25,000 house can be out there, right? Pay more than that for a parking spot out here, but no kidding. It's out there. Um, put $20,000 worth of rehab and it refinanced for 62,000. So I was on my way, but I did it with, with a wholesaler and having my agent as my boots on the ground was my first one off market deal. And what is it about St. Joseph, Missouri, that is so appealing to investors? I mean, obviously $25,000 house, like you say. <laughs> now it comes with a grain of salt, right? So since I've evolved and learned, like I also understand that these are older homes. Yes. Um, I've also upped my price point a little bit because of the tenant level that you get. So I have a higher eviction rate in those homes, whereas the ones that I bought that were over $100,000 in um, St. Joseph, Missouri, so it's still very reasonable, not an issue. So, you know, you, you learn, and that's one of the things I like to bring to my students is, hey, I've already made this mistake, so we're going to up your budget a little bit. Yeah. Um, but what I like about Sage Joe, and ironically, if I had stuck to just the numbers on my sheet and went into data analysis paralysis and had to find the perfect market like many of us get into, I would have never done St. Joe because the population is flat. You know, it's not growing an employer. It wasn't growing a ton in, uh, you know, median value, but I had someone who was willing to show me the way. So I was more likely to take action. And since he knew the market, there are markets where, you know, people just never leave, but they don't have the money or ability to get a down payment. And so you have a constant pool of renters and an opportunity to kind of gentrify and provide safe, clean places that maybe weren't that beforehand. And did you stay there? Is that primarily where your investments are now? No. So I also being very conservative, right? Like wanting to, to mix my, my conservativeness with me now going out and taking a risk. Um, I went into different markets and it's interesting because I had, a, I had some other informal mentors be like, you're, you know, spraying the fire hose. You're going to, you know, this is all wrong. And I was like, this is what's working for me. Right. Part of it was just me on Facebook marketplace, you know, my next second or third deal, I found an aplex that someone was selling in Murray, Kentucky. Can't say I've been there. Right. <laughs> but it was like, okay, I found this. Nobody else has approached him. I think it works. You know, and for me, what I found is getting into any market that he has been a rock star real estate agent. So if you can find a rock star real estate agent who can connect you with all the right people in the market, including a contractor, if you're going to do Burr, that really is how I've gotten to move and gain traction. You know, there's work every time. So you don't want to go into markets you can never go into again, but it's not, if you're comfortable relying on your team, which I am, it's very possible. Correct me if I'm wrong or whatever, but to me, I feel like working with a team, especially a remote team in this case, right? You've got the real estate agent, they have a relationship with that person. And so they're going to want to do a good job so that they can get more referrals. But also when they talk to you, there has to be some level of respect there. They have to, you know, if they thought you were a complete idiot, they would probably still a little bit take advantage of you. Right. So do you feel like you've developed the 
the lingo or there is there a, like a, a language that you know now that you feel more comfortable talking to people and just holding your own? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you grow and as you can call and just say, hey, I've got this X portfolio and you know, when somebody throws out five, one arm, you're not like Googling, you know, they don't hear in the background. Like, Hold on. Oh, just, just, I just have to sneeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it definitely comes with time, but people typically want to help. Um, I will say, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I think the ones you always have to be most careful with tends to be contractors is really just having that buttoned up and double checking agents. Um, I don't think are going to, you know, you just want to make sure that they're not forcing a deal on you. Yes, they are motivated financially, but they also want you to have a good deal and be repeat, repeat business. So like with anything, it comes with time and you, and you get your, your stride, but the lingo is not rocket science. Yeah. You, you probably can pick it up pretty quickly. So, you know, have that confidence in yourself. Yeah. And I would say too, I was actually thinking of contractors when I asked that question, because any homeowner, any person who's ever tried to do any work in the world has come up against some people who I've actually had people try to tell me that the plan that I have is not going to be as good as a plan that, you know, like, well, you, you don't want to put that there, lady. You want to like, dude, <laughs> this is way over your pay grade. That's where that thing's going, you know, but it takes some, yeah. some confidence to say no to someone who knows, right. It's their job. They've done this before. Maybe you haven't. And you're like, oh, get, get sort of beat into submission. <laughs> Yes, and I think too, you know, for better or worse, sometimes they see us as a woman and think, oh, she doesn't, you know, just blonde woman from California. What does she know out here in St. Joseph, Missouri? We're going to, you know, do, do what we want. As long as you start a relationship off and are appreciative and respectful, it's a lot less likely that it's going to, you know, go downhill. If it's going to go downhill, it's going to go downhill. But I think having a good rapport with everybody that you work with really comes around in full circle. Um, you know, and that goes with having a good relationship with your property manager so that if you are concerned, they're not going to object to running over and checking on your contractor in the middle of the day to make sure they're there. Right. Right. And so, so much of this is, is relationships um, and just being to your point, very aware of which relationship you're, you're going to have to hold to your ground. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually had, I was working on one of my own, one of my own properties and I had the design for the closet, very specific, set up a very specific way. And I was on vacation and the thing was all framed out and I thought we were good. And I came back and they reoriented where the door was going to be. I was like, why did you do that? Now I have this closet that's like 50 inches deep <laughs> and about 18, you know, 30 inches wide. I'm like, that, that's not, you know, clearly that's not what I wanted. He's like, yeah, but then when the doors open, you wouldn't be able to get in the closet. I'm like, the closet's a coat closet. I don't need to get in the closet if the door is open because then it's time. Do you understand? Like it requires a, definitely a level of faith and great communication skills to make sure that everything that's getting done in a remote project is happening the way you want it to yeah. happen. And to that point, you know, for the most part, most of my burrs are paint, new flooring, you know, maybe some light fixtures because. Yeah. It's kind of hard to mess up once you start. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too picky. It's the same gray and white, you know. Yeah. It's it, uh, and but once you start having where it's actual touching the structure and that kind of thing, that's definitely where you run into those situations a bit more. But yeah, and that's a great way to to do it. You you can very easily add a lot of value to a property just by making it look pretty and clean and right. Yeah. Now I will say you're probably able to force more appreciation, you know, or value by doing that, you know, that type of burr. So that's kind of the trade-off that, that I take, um, you know, for people to, to think about in terms of, you know, 
there's definitely probably a correlation between how much you're doing to a house and your upside potential. Well, but you also want to take into consideration that it takes time, right? If you're going to do a burr and it's going to take you three, four, five, six months to do it, what's happening to the market during that time? That's all time when you're paying money out and not getting money in. So, I mean, cash flow is king. I mean, that's that's where I get, you know, that market change is so gut-wrenching, you know, critical. I tried two flips. I didn't get totally killed in them. I probably broke even, but let's just say they, they aren't my thing. It's okay to try things and say, I did it. Um, and it wasn't just because it was my first time and it was uncomfortable that I don't like it. It just isn't my thing. Yeah. Well, in a flip, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I made X amount. But then when you start looking at the tax ramifications, which I think a lot of people forget about, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah you yeah. just made, oh, I just made $30,000. I'm like, you know, for <laughs> short-term capital gains, how much of that are you going to keep? It's just not even worth it, right? The amount of work that you have to do and the amount of effort and drama for a flip, you, yeah. it has to be a really sweet deal to make that work, in my opinion. Exactly. But, no, I, and I'm there with you. And you know, the one thing too, I always ask my, the people that I work with, you know, what is your goal? Because flipping's great. And yeah, you can build up wealth quicker maybe, but the second you stop working, the second you stop hustling, you don't have anything coming in. Do you start with long-term or short-term rentals? So started with long-term um, and then sort of just fell into the short-term. My agent um, in Kansas City, Missouri, so St. Joe's about 45 minutes north. So then I, I started to uh, look a bit more in the city and he's like, oh, Lindsay, you should really buy this as a short term. And me being West Coast based had a little bit of like a who vacations, you know, in Kansas City. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like what? <laughs> no, yeah, like uh, funny, you know, jokes on you. I'm not falling for this one. And <laughs> thankfully, I listened to him and we did buy um, a short term rental and it um, did really well. Now, there's the sexy markets like Sevierville and, you know, Smokies, and we're in that as well. There's also those tried and true and steady ones. Um, I will say we've started to pivot away from those a little bit because we're seeing a lot of the regulation change, um, a lot of market saturation. So I just work very closely uh, to know my numbers and help you know any of my students really run it and make sure because I think this day unless you're going to go big and go home and have something really unique in the area, it, it can be rough going. Well, and as you said, a lot of towns and cities are changing their regulations to not allow short-term rentals. So if that's your whole business model and you're thinking, oh, it's going to be rented all the time, which of course is not going to happen. And second of all, that, you know, it's, you have no backup plan if you can't do short-term rentals for some reason, yeah. that's not a good, not a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, we experienced that, you know, hence we've, had to pivot and, you know, thank goodness. That's, I think the other thing in the sense that real estate is so forgiving in so many ways, you know, hold it for long enough. So many things you can do um, that the house that we originally bought for short-term rental didn't really sell at the number we wanted, didn't really make sense long-term renting. And so now we've pivoted to do sober living and group home, you know, never in a million years would I have ever thought, but it's amazing to see with this single asset. And that's kind of why I like Single family is not always the sexy thing that they're talking about on bigger pockets and you know, everybody multifamily wants hundreds of doors. You can move fast and there's so many things you can can do with a single family asset. It's true. It's true. They've, it's very versatile. And even, you know, depending on how it's zoned, right, there are other options. You see some commercial applications and, you know, obviously zoning would have been a factor for the sober living home as well. How did that come about? Like, where did you dream that one? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dream. Um, so ironically, we, um, I hadn't really thought, thought about it. Um, we had a house up 
for long-term rent in Asheville, North Carolina. And a young woman responded to the ad and said, hey, I'd love to rent it. I'm going to pay you slightly over market rent if you let me rent it as a sober living home. And I thought, okay, first young female entrepreneur, like, heck yeah, like what, you know, let's help her out. My one ask is teach me, right? Um, And the amazing thing is, you know, as long as you are with, with group homes, just providing nothing medical, nothing more than just rent. And it just happens to be rent by the bed versus rent by the house or rent by the room. Right. You don't need um, any certain license or, or regulation. Yeah. Each city will have like a limit in terms of, you know, no more than 11 people in the house. People. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But um, those needing rehab or, or support like that are a protected class. Um, so there's also certain, um, flexibility there. Um, and so it really was just something we kind of fell into. And then we partnered with another house in Kansas city, Missouri, one of the ones that we were pivoting to partner with a charity Oxford house. So we just, again, similar to that young woman, we rented to them and they run a sober living. And then for a couple of them, we've gone in and, uh, I'm, you know, managing and, and running and it's a whole nother type of business that we're learning. And it's wow. very, um, very rewarding, very interesting, time consuming, but um, really rewarding. Yeah. I interviewed somebody, uh, probably a year ago now, and she had turned her home into um, senior housing for people, specifically for people with dementia. And so she had, at that time, uh, five people living with her, and she was about to buy another one where she wasn't going to live for seven people, um, and she, she was just absolutely loving it. I, I will say, you know, you get to, you get to help people and doing sales. I often, you know, get shut down in my job and doctors busy. I, I get it. But when I started doing this and I start networking with the rehab centers and the parole officers and all this, they wanted to give me their phone number. They wanted to give me their email. They were appreciative. They thanked me, you know, and it was so wonderful to feel like I was making an impact um, and being welcomed by the communities versus oh that real estate investor from California was doing a short term rental down the street, you know, like <laughs> it's it's a different, it's a very different kind of feel. Is there subsidy? Are there subsidies and things for the for the people who who live there? Yeah, yeah. So it depends. Um, we're doing it in, in different states. So um, you know, in Kansas City, there's a certain government dismiss, and you have to be you know certified with the National Recovery Society, and then. Um, other ones, there's just local charities. Um, and then, of course, if we were to like house a veteran or something, social security, um, that type of thing. So it really varies um, depending on the area. But unfortunately, for a lot of people, sober living often tends to be not covered by insurance. Oh. Uh, so that's why there is such a need, especially for affordable options. People need, that's when they need help the most, right? When they really could use a hand up instead of just a lot more drama and paperwork and, you know, rejection yeah. and stuff. Yeah. You know, and how do you get started if you don't have a place to start? Throughout this, have you kept your, your other job? I mean, or did you go back to your job? What I, what has really been great about this is, you know, when I was, when I went to business school and I graduated and I went in back into healthcare and was climbing that corporate ladder in, in marketing, it wasn't, it didn't fill my, my cup. It wasn't my passion, but I was doing it because that's where there was the security and the long, long term. And I had pivoted just to kind of take a breather back into sales. But I had always thought sales rep isn't going to be around forever in this model. You know, I'm pigeonholing myself the more I do this. And I always had this constant fear of like, oh my gosh, my job could go away. You know, it's not, I'm not going to retire in this job. And it was the constant kind of nag. And so I told myself it was just temporary. But now that I have the passive income and what I have with real estate, I can stay in this job because I want to, and I'm not afraid. And if I lose my job tomorrow, I'm fine. Cause I have that other 
source of income and business that I've run. So now I do my job because I love it. I can do both and be fulfilled and um, just feel really blessed that way. And so that's the gift in terms of my W-2 that real estate investing has given me. And, you know, there's nothing, you can't diminish the ease of getting started when you have W-2 income, right? Because if you say to a bank, oh, you know, I'd really like to, you know, get a mortgage on this property, they're probably going to look at your thing and say, sure, okay. Whereas if you're just an entrepreneur and you're like, I really want this property to be how I make money, they're like, uh, yeah, well, you kind of need yeah. to have money in advance. A hundred percent. And you have to, you know, have two years as a, you know, entrepreneur of tax returns to show. And it's, it's really hard, which is the, you know, I, I understand where the banks are coming from, but it is, it's unfortunate. And so for those that are ready to jump, you know, jump in and quit your job tomorrow, like rein that in a little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, we can get you there. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, not a sprint. Yeah. Well, and what you've defined is the, my definition of financial freedom. It's not that you're never going to work again. It's that you can just do whatever you enjoy doing and, you know, do it your way. And if they fire you, tough shit for them, right? They lost somebody great. And you're just going to go do something else that you absolutely love. So, right. And that's it. And I think, you know, many people probably listening to your podcast and, and you and I, I couldn't not not work. So we're going to always do something. So, you know, remember that and just make sure that what you're filling most of your time with is is what you want to be filling it with. You know, don't think of it as a, as a job, but I'm going to be doing something with my time. So I might as well have a W2 I enjoy. That's one thing I don't, I mean, I'm old, so it's understandable that there'd be a generation gap, but the whole idea of fire, it's like retire. Like, so I talk, I've interviewed people who are like 24, 25 years old. And I'm thinking, you know, what are you going to do for the next potentially like 60, 70, 80 years? <laughs> what are you going to do? And it's interesting because you see people when they retire kind of deflate a little because it, it does fulfill you having purpose, having something to get out, you know? So, you know, maybe those people eventually we'll start charities or do it. But again, you know, again, you're working at something. Right. We need that. We do. We need, we need to have goals. We need to, I feel like I at least need to have something that's pushing me along. And as much as I love to travel and love to, you know, buy things and have a good time and stuff like that, it loses its flavor when that's yeah. all you do. I, I yeah. think. No, I, I've been on vacations and by the fourth or fifth day, I'm bringing my computer down to the pool and I'm like, <laughs> It's cool, but I, I want to work. I want to, you know, yeah. and like, but it's, it's a whole different relationship that you have with your job because it's your choice to be there. Yes. And I think that was the most interesting thing when I first started this, you know, I was, I was grinding pretty hard, but it didn't feel like work. Right. I finally got it. When you see all these entrepreneurs that make millions and billions, they used to work in private equity. And I was like, why are these guys still working? Like they're the richest men on the planet, but for them, it wasn't a job. And for me, it wasn't a job. I was, it was my passion which was really, it was interesting to finally, you know, switch from that mindset as a, of an employee to an entrepreneur. How much time do you spend? I don't know what I was trying to say there. How much time do you spend doing real estate related uh, management and tasks and stuff on like, say a weekly or monthly basis? Yeah. So one of the biggest things, you know, that's helped me is um, building a team internally. So I have a full-time virtual assistant, which has changed my life. And so in some ways I, I almost have too much time on my hands now that, you know, everything's kind of up and going and systems are set and we're not in a, um, you know, growth phase right now. I've all our capitals deployed and, and things like that. So, you know, I spend maybe an hour a day, two hours a day, just kind of depending on, on what's going on. The sober living thing has been a much bigger lift, but just with my long-term rentals, they're set it and forget it for the, you know, for the most part. And we self-manage some, 
and we have property managers for for others. So it's not that we're not you know involved in the day in day out of some of them. But when you get your systems in place, um, it really can be a, a lift at the beginning, but nice after that. Well, and you brought up a, a very good point because any time that I've interviewed a real estate investor who's successful, they always talk about systems. And there are a lot of real estate investors out there who don't have any systems, but they're not on this show. You need to know what you're doing. You can't just do the whole thing by the seat of your pants and expect to really succeed. A hundred percent. And it's funny because, you know, my team, my business partner, and uh, one of my business partners is also my brother. So the three of us, I am that person that's like, we're going to use monday.com and I'm going to bug you every weekly meeting. I know you don't want, you know, but like, we have to have a system. We have to, you know, we can't, we're, you're blessed to be in a spot where you need to um, do a, a, a system for things. And you're that big versus not needing a system because it is only one or two houses. So it's a catch 22, but I, I am that person that I feel like I'm, I don't want to say the, the person who nags, but somebody's got to do it. Right. And it, and they all, once they get on board, they all end up thanking me. Even when you have one or two properties, if you want to have more, you might as well set yourself up from property one with a system that's going to allow you to grow more organically and not just like every single one is like reinventing the wheel. What's say your favorite part of an average week? Um, my favorite part of an average week is being able to sit down and go through those systems, you know, real estate related and be able to sit back and think strategically at this point, right? So for a while there, I think I was just learning and go, 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 and just kind of almost reactive. Now, when I get to this point, I get to sit back, I get to read about what's going on a little bit more in depth and think and think, do I want to pivot? Do I want to move into section eight? Like, so I, I'm at a point now where I feel like I've got a really good foundation and now I can think, you know, where do I want to take that next? And so I think yeah. I, I really enjoy that. And then I was sharing with you a little bit, um, moving into the sober living when I get to connect last night, I got a, a, a wonderful text from one of our new residents just saying, Lindsay, I just want to, Hey, my name's su such and such. I just want to let you know, I'm so excited to be somewhere where I feel like I can have a home, but also really nice. Cause one of our goals with our houses is not to just have just a basic dumpy house and put a bunch of people in there. Yeah. Um, and it was just, really blown away away by that but still making it affordable um and so those those are the moments i think that um are my favorite throughout the week what kinds of things do you look at when you're going into a new market i think it's really easy to get wrapped around in the data but the basics um that i you know work with and work with my students i look at is you know is the population growing or shrinking um what is the average income doing in that area um what is the median value of the house and how has that gone recently? And, and I say this almost in ways that you don't always want to go where the median home value has shot up in the past couple of years, because that probably means it may have already peaked and coming back down with everything that we've seen, like, like Boise, like places in Arizona. And so, you know, there's no perfect data point, but always things to think about. Um, also landlord friendly. That's one of the biggest things I like, I, you know, want to look at because at, at the end of the day, um, the support that you have of, of the local legal system. Municipality. Makes, State, yeah. yeah, it definitely exactly. makes a difference. Yeah. Property in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and the difference between who's in charge, the tenant or the landlord is huge. Yeah, and it can be scary and so frustrating. And, you know, we all want to think that the law makes sense and is fair and unfortunately doesn't always meet those two boxes. So, um, so yeah. 
And then one of the things that I'm starting to look at a little bit more in working placements is um, climate change. So, uh, you know, how is heat going to impact? Is it a big agricultural area that's going to have, you know, huge increase that we think, um, you know, what, how does that play into knowing that a lot of my purchases are for long-term holds? And things that like, what is not, what's this worth today? Is anyone going to want to live here 10 years from now, right? Yeah. It's a wasteland of some kind, right? Exactly. And, you know, and I don't want to have another job, right? So I want to buy and hold. So what kind of advice would you give to people who are thinking that they maybe could try this, especially now when it's a little bit less friendly environment as far as interest rates and things like that go? So first I would say there's always going to be, it's always an equation, right? And there's always going to be one variable in the equation that you're not in love with. Right now it's rates. Before it was the number of bids, it was the pricing, it was the all cash offers. Um, I think now's a great time to buy because you are actually not getting outbid. The prices, it's not a seller's market. Um, so all that matters is as long as whatever that interest variable rate works, I don't care if it's 2%, I don't care if it's 16%. If my equation comes out to what meets my buy box, then I'm going for it. We've bought you know, 12, 15 properties in the last six months. Um, even with the rates where they are. And the beautiful thing to remind people is it's never going to go up as long as you don't, you know, get a variable, assuming you're getting a 30 year fix, your payments only going to go down. I'm totally forgetting now where, what the, what the question, oh, what I'm looking at. Yeah. When you're in going into a new market, what kinds of things are you I'm going to, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is the agent. So, um, can I get a reliable agent? Because I really wanted to go into, um, Omaha and could not get an agent that was willing to work with me on off market deals that would call me back. Um, and just couldn't couldn't get traction there. Um, and so for me, if I can't have a team on the ground that I rely on, um, I, I didn't go into that market. And I actually forgot that wasn't the question that I asked you. That okay. was the question before the question. So the most recent question was, what would you tell people who are thinking that they'd like to get started, even though the interest rates aren't that great? Um, set an action line. I like to call it that instead of a deadline. Um, because I know people that for three years now, my friend's husband has been looking at real estate, you know, but <laughs> You're, you're, there's such the opportunity cost and the market's never going to be what you think is perfect, but we always look back on the last market we had and say, we should have done that. So don't keep doing that to yourself. So set, get a number that you're comfortable with and set an action line. And then I think it's huge, whether formally or informally, find a mentor, find a coach, find a, um, a mastermind. You're not in this alone and it's okay to ask for help. Having been, you know, a straight A nerdy student, I felt like it was cheating and it's not. It's totally right. okay. And people want to help you. So find that. Yeah. It's not just not cheating. It's really the smart thing to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Why make every mistake yourself? Right. When somebody else has already done it a million times and happy to help you. Yeah, exactly. And they, they and it's fun. It's a lot more fun doing it with someone else. And there's Excellent. so much stuff that I don't know. I didn't know. And you offer coaching though, right? Lindsay, you're, you're, you offer coaching as part of your many hats that you have. I do. I do. So one of the things getting involved in this in the syndication company that I started, um, I was working with um, a lot of women that either, uh, you know, were recently divorced or single moms. And just, I don't know if it's something that just our generation or what we were just not necessarily, it was taught to think about making our money work for us. We we're just taught to save, save, save and, and not take risk. Yeah. And I enjoyed working with them so much um, that I started the Millionaire's March, 
um, which is my coaching program. Originally, I was going to focus just on women, but ironically, I have 50% men, 50% women, which is great. Um, and it's a 90-day course to um, purchase your first rental property by the end of it. And then I also do, for those, are I have people that already own, but uh, want to make like, the next moves, just regular coaching as well for whatever people need. So really, that's you know what fills my cup is, where are you at? How can I help? Is there any question that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you? Taking a little bit of risk and, you know, what's the most important thing to be thinking about when you're looking at the future is I always was a, a big saver, but I think velocity might be like the word to remember here, whether it's velocity in your learning, your personal life, your goals, or your money. You you want to make sure that your money's working for you because that's how you're going to get to the lifestyle that you want to have. And there's lots of different ways to do that, whether it's through real estate or other ways. Um, but I think we sometimes get so done up in accomplishing the tasks, but we don't realize that those are not necessarily moving things forward. So Lindsay, how can people reach you if they want to take your coaching or if they just want to say you're awesome? Well, I would love to connect with people. Um, if you can't tell, I, I love love chatting and connecting and, and helping. So um, anybody that wants to set up just a three uh, a free 30-minute strategy session so I can you know point you in the right direction, um, you can go to millionairesmarchfreestrategysession.com. And then you can also find me um, on Instagram at Lindsay Zane Lovell um, on Instagram and, and Facebook and all those, those fun things. Excellent. And all those links will be in the show notes. So you don't have to get in a car crash trying to write them down. Lindsay, thanks so much. I love talking with you. You're a super. You're so sweet. I appreciate that. It was great. I appreciate you having me on Christine and, and you know, letting me talk. Um, and it was wonderful chatting with you both now and, and before. So thank you so much. Oh, you know what? One last question, because I think this yes. is going to air right before New Year's. Do you have yes. any sort of like rituals or things that you do to start the new year off in a good, on a good foot? Yes. I think one of the most important things is to take a step back and look at my organizational systems because I have spent too many Christmases going back through for tax documents or, you know, trying to get this appraisal together. And so I like to sit down and just say, I'm going to, you know, get, give my inbox a day or two off. It'll be there. And what systems do I just need to sit down and think about strategically? So it's kind of like that, that looking back and setting myself up for, for the next year. Thank you. And thank you so much listener for listening who think right now, at least I bet, you know, more than three people who you can share this episode with people who will really benefit from Lindsay's really nice, simple way of getting started simple way of expressing herself and somebody you know who's been thinking about real estate investing who hasn't made hasn't actually pulled the trigger or even somebody who has and isn't enjoying it as much as they thought they would share this episode with them let them listen to Lindsay they can give her a call or get on her calendar and they will definitely thank you and I thank you have a wonderful week